Welcome to another episode of Daf Shvui, Weekly Daf. Give me 40 minutes or so and I'll give you a Daf or so. This week we are recording from my closet, a, the quietest place I could find in the house. Since we are blocked from getting to the beautiful Unger Sargon studios because of social distancing. I hope you are all social distancing, washing your hands, keeping yourselves healthy, caring for those who need to be cared for, and not forgetting those who nobody else is caring for, those who are on the streets, who are homeless, those who are in the jails, detention centers, those who are losing their jobs. We have them all in our minds. This week is Rosh Chodesh Nisan. Nisan is the month of redemption, and we really need some redemption now. We've been through other things, which are as people's equally as bad, and we've survived. Hopefully that brings some comfort to us, but right now we have to concentrate in the day-to-day on surviving this as best we can. And one way we can do that is by learning Torah. So we're starting on the bottom line of 17b in the page that was typeset low these 150 years ago in the publishing house of the widow and brothers Ram in Vilna. There will be a link to that on the podcast page. Here we go. Now, just to remind us where we are, we're in the middle of a conversation which was generated by a debate between Abaye and Rava about whether or not one can dig a cistern adjoining a field. One can dig all the way up to the border of the field or not. Abaya says yes, Rava says no. Now we're trying to figure out whether uh, which of those two opinions uh, can be maintained throughout a whole bunch of sugyot, which are introduced by Tashma, come in here. And basically the Gemara is going to run through all of the various different possibilities, various different cases that we had in the Mishnah, um, and then juxtapose it, of course, with another uh, Mishnah, which we already saw a little bit of, the Mishnah of Rabbanan and Rabiosi about planting a tree next to a cistern, having to distance the tree 25 amot from the cistern, according to the, the Tanakama or Rabbanan, and the contrary opinion of Rabiosi, that actually you don't have to. So the question there is, how do we navigate between those two disputes? One about adjoining the field, the other, which makes more clear, based on a comment on that Mishnah about damage direct damage, indirect damage, whether it is upon the person doing the damage to move away or the person being damaged to move away from the damage. So that's just a teaser. And here we go. Tashma, come in here. We're introducing a Mishnah, a line from our Mishnah. We distance uh, the uh, leftovers of the olive press, the dung, the salt pile, the plaster, the rocks from the wall of one's fellow, which is on the border of the property, three tefachs, about 18 inches, osad basid, or you cover it over with plaster. Tama de ikakotel. So the reason here is that that would seem to tell us that you have to distance it. So that seems to go, we don't know, does that go according to a buyer? or does that go according to Rava? Tamadi kakotel, halakakotel somech. So it seems to say we want we could we might be able to imply that the only reason that you have to distance it is because there is a wall there 
But if there's no wall there, you can go all the way up to the border, which would accord with a with Abaya's opinion. No, no. Even if there is no wall there, you could also not go all the way up. You could also not go to adjoining the other property. So therefore, according to Rav, so what does it teach us that it tells us you have to go away? Three Tvachim. It tells us, it teaches us that these things are actually deleterious to the wall. They they will uh, damage the wall. Tashma, second. One has to move away, move distance, seeding and plowing and urinating three tvachim from the wall. So the only reason is because there's a wall. But if there's no wall, then you can go all the way up to the boundary line. No, not true. Even if there was no wall there, you're also not allowed to adjoin the boundary line. So what does this teach us? This halacha comes to teach us that uh, liquid is uh, problematic for a wall, because damaging to a wall. So the mill, one has to distance it three tfachim from the bottom stone, which is the larger stone, or four tfachim from the top stone, which is a smaller stone. So there again, it seems that uh, uh, you have to go away from the wall. So tamadika kotel. So they say the only reason is because there's a kotel. But if there was no kotel, we could assume that you're allowed to go all the way up to the boundary line, which is a bias opinion. No, no, that's not true. Even if there was no wall, you cannot go adjoin the boundary line. So what does this teach us? Teaches us that also the pounding that when you of the milling is also bad for the wall. If you pound it a lot, apparently it weakens the wall. Tashma. So we're going to go through all the lines in the Mishnah and trying to figure out whether it's we going according to Abayah Rava. So far, we're all coming out on Rava's side. Tashma v'etatanur shlosha min hakilia shehein dalim asafa. So the a a stove, we have to move three tvachim from the pot belly, from which is wider, or four tvachim from the base, which is narrower. Tamadita ika kotel. So once again, we say it seems that the reason is only because there is a wall. But if there was no wall, we'd adjoin the borderline. No, Even if there was no wall, we would also not adjoin the borderline, the boundary line. So what, is, but what does this teach us? That we have to move it away? It teaches us that the, uh, the, the heat from the tanur, the oven, boiler, is, uh, stove is, is, is damaging to the wall. Tashma. Okay, so up until now, this has all been going rubber's way, right? In other words, even if there was no wall, we wouldn't go all the way up to the boundary line. And there's a reason in each one of these things, which teaches us something beyond just not going up to the boundary line, that all these things that are listed in the Mishnah are damaging to a wall. Tashma. Lo yiftach adam chanut shel nachtomim v'shel tzabayim tachat otzero shel chavero v'lo refet bakar. A person is not allowed to open a a bakery shop or a dye shop underneath his friend's otzar. Otzar is a place that you keep uh, somebody can keep um, wheat or grain v'lo refet bakar 
nor can he have a place to a stall for his animal. So the reason is that there's an otsar there, that, and these things, the, the bakery or the dyes, would damage uh, the wheat. Haleka otsar avid. But if there was no otsar, if there was no storage facility above, then you're allowed to do it. So it seems that that would be saying that the assumption here is that if you're allowed to do that, so that would be like you're allowed to go all the way up to the boundary line, like Abaya says. Dirashani. So actually, no, because all these things, Nachtom and Sabain, the bakery and the dyeing and keeping animals in their stalls, is things that a person is considered a, an activity of a dira, not really a house, a dwelling, right? Dira shani. So a dwelling is different because you can't tell a person what to do in their dwelling. Deka nami, and this actually, we can imply this from the specific way, the Tani Allah, that it says, about this in the Mishnah, if the stall for the animals preceded the place to keep the wheat above, so then it is permissible. Right? So that's so now now we're starting something that's going to go on in the next couple of examples where the Gemara quotes a line from the Mishnah, but then the Taniala quotes a line from the Tosefta, which is another Tanitic text, which is about the same time as Mishnah, maybe a little later, to comment on the Mishnah, the Tani Allah, right? And that comment is tells us that the refit, that the uh, uh, stall for the animals preceded the place to, to keep the, the wheat. And if that was so, then it's okay. So that would say, that would seem to say that you're allowed to go all the way up until the line. And that seems to agree with Abaya and not Rava. So here we have a move from Rava to Abaya because Abaya says you're allowed to go all the way up to the line unless there's something there. Tashma. Okay, so now we have another example, another case which might decide this question. A person should not plant a tree adjoining a field unless he moves, unless he distances it for a moat. Vitani Allah, and it says about this in a brighter now, Dalit Amot Shamru Kara. The four Amot that they said you have to move away is the amount, is in order to be able to do the uh, agricultural work of the vineyard. Now that's either, it's not clear. It's four amot, so it's either one, one understanding is that, in other words, if you're going to work in a vineyard, you have to be able to take your the animals around to plow, and it'll take, when you turn in a corner, it'll take four amot, or that you're you're moving it away so that it doesn't get mixed up between the, the vineyard and whatever you're planting in your own field, and then it makes the vines forbidden. Now, the interesting thing here is that here we have another Tani Allah. It says about it in a Brighta, but we don't have this anyplace else in the Brighta. The only other place we have this is in the fifth parag- the fifth chapter of Bava Batra, where it says basically the same thing in the same way that this is for Amot and Tani Allah, that the for Amot is because Kidei Abodata Karam, which is the uh, work in, in, in the vineyard. Tama Mishum Kidei Abodata Karam. So the only reason you have to go is be have to move back is because you have to it's in order to be able to do the work of the vineyard ha lav mishum kedavdat karam samech if we didn't have that reason of working in order to 
move it away from the vineyard. So then you would be able to all the way to adjoin the other field, according to Abaye. But Afalgaf, and now the Gemara asks a different question. So up now we're changing up because up until here, at this point, we would expect the Gemara to have a uh, an answer, no, and then tell us why. But here, those were, those were the previous ones. So now we're saying, actually, uh, we're moving into a different mode. But Afalgaf de Ika Shorshin de Kamaski, and even if, so we're saying, what happens if the are you talking that you're allowed to put it adjoined to the other field, even if there are roots which will damage, which can damage the other field? So no, because what are we talking about? What case is this? The Mafsik Tunma, that actually there is a stone that is dividing between one field and, and the other. It's not a kotel, but a tunma. There's underground. There's a stone that's that the, the, the roots can't go through. Dekanami, and we understand we can imply this from the fact, Diktani, that it says in the continuation. Actually, interestingly enough, there are a number of manuscripts that instead of Dekanami have Tashma, meaning there's a Tashma inside a Tashma. In order to understand this point, they actually introduce another text by another Tashma. But the Vilna and number of the manuscripts have the, the printed editions of another manuscripts have Dekanami, just as we've had previously, that it we understand that we can imply this because of the way that the Mishnah continues. That if there was a fence between the two, between the two fields, so this one can go all the way up to the fence on this side, and this one can adjoin on the fence on this side. Meaning, so that's like, it must be that the fence is what's stopping the tree from going to the other side. So this seems we're going like Abaye, who says you're allowed to go all the way up to the fence. So if this is true, so what about the end of that the end of that Mishnah? If there were roots that went into his fellow's field, so he has to dig down three tfachim in order that they will not disturb the plow meaning that you have to cut the roots down to a, a, a depth of 18 inches, more or less that you it won't, so when the other person, when the fellow, when the other guy is trying to plow his field, it's not going to get caught up in the roots. And if you're going to say that actually there was a stone that stopped the roots, so what, what does this mean? Why? The only reason that you said before that the only reason you're allowed to go up to the boundary was because there was a rock that was stopping the roots that didn't let the roots go into the other fellow's field. So if that's true, so why do we? What does the Mishnah then say that actually, if the roots were going into the other fellow's field? So the Gemara continues. No, actually, this is what it says: the e loved sunma, and if there was not a rock, and the roots were going out into the fellow's the other field. So in that case, you have to, the, the first person has to go down and dig down three tefachs in order that it does not hinder the work of the plow. So here again, at the end, we end up with Abaye. The question also is, we seem to also keep it on the back of the mind, talking about who has to deal with the potential damage. Here is the damager who seems to have to deal with the potential damage. Okay. Tashma. 
one has to distance the tree from a cistern 25 amot. In other words, if you're planting a tree, you have to distance it from the cistern about 25 amot. Tamadi kabor. So the only reason is because there is a cistern. Halakabor samich. But if there was no cistern, then you were allowed to go all the way up to the to the boundary line again, seeming to seemingly like abaye. Lo, ki lekabor nami lo samach. No, even if there was no cistern, you weren't allowed. You're not allowed to go all the way up to the boundary line. Baha kamashmalan, and this teaches us the ad chafhe ama azli shorshim umaz ki labor that up until twenty five amot, the roots can go out and potentially damage a cistern. So if that's true, so then say the go and read the continuation. If the tree uh, is planted first, then you don't have to cut the tree down. And if you're not allowed to plant a tree adjoining the border, how could this happen? In other words, we understand this Mishnah to say that you have to, or the way we're reading it now, to say that you have to move your tree away from the cistern, from somebody's cistern, 25 amot. And not only if there's a cistern, but even if there's not a cistern, because 25 amot is how if the, the roots go out, that, it, that, could just, that could really damage the cistern. But now, if that's true, so why does the end of the Mishnah say, if the tree was there first, you shouldn't cut it down? I thought you weren't allowed to put it adjoining the boundary line anyway. Kidama Rav Papa Bilokeach. So you say no, because this is understood according to Rav Papa, who says that this is talking about a field where there was already a tree planted, and then they sold off half the field, and the half the field went right by the tree. So hachinami bilokeach. Here too, we're talking about a lokeach, meaning that there was already a tree, and then uh, uh, so that's where you're allowed to have the tree all the way up to adjoining the border. If the tree was there, and then you sold the field, so then im ilan kadam lo yikotz. If the tree was there first, meaning you sold half the field to some other guy, and then the guy wants to put a cistern right there, and that's on the boundary, but the boundary wasn't there when you planted the tree. There was another half of a field there. So we save it from going according to Abaya and seems to go back according to Rava. This week's podcast is brought to you by friend of the pod, Sandals of Pumbedita. Sandals of Pumbedita. You don't want to be seen in the Beit Midrash without them. However, in light of the current situation, nobody is being seen in the Beit Midrash. Therefore, Sandals of Pumbedita is announcing a 50% off sale for listeners to this podcast in both their original Pumbedita store and their new location in the newly empty Sura Rachvashel Ear. So go to www.sandalsofpumpadita.com slash and order any pair of sandals at the regular price, and you will wear them twice as long since you can't go anywhere. Voila! 50% off. Sandals of Pumpadita, with you in all your moments. Tashma. So we're still going back and forth whether the, the Mishnayot go according to Abaya or Rava. Tashma. Machikin et mishrem min ha-yerek vet ha-krishin min ha-betzalim vet ha-chardal min ha-dvorim. So you have to distance the the dye vat, the dyeing vat, from all manner of vegetables vet ha-krishin min ha-betzalim and leeks from onions vet ha-chardal min ha-dvorim and the mustard plants from the bees. Now, Yerek includes Krishin and Betzalim, and actually, according to some of the manuscripts, it's the actually it's Machikin is a Mishramina Yerek Umin Ha Krishin Umin Ha You have to distance it from the vegetables and from 
the leeks and the onions. That's actually the way it is in the manuscripts of the Mishnah, but in the manuscripts of the Gemara, all have it this way, that there are three different things. You have to distance the divat from vegetables, and you have to distance the leeks from the onions, and you have to distance the mustard from the bees. Okay, so we're going to go with that. Tama but again, we're talking about having to distance something. Tamadika yarek, halaka yarek samich. So the reason is only because there are vegetables there. If there were no vegetables, then you're allowed to put it all the way up to the boundary line. Lo, ki leka yarek nami la samich. If there were no vegetables planted there, you're still not allowed to adjoin. Vakamashmalan dahani kashu adadi. And what, we, what do we learn out of this? That these are, are hard for that. These are difficult for that. These harm those. In other words, the Divad harms the vegetables, the leeks harm the onions, and the mustard harms the the bees. And we'll see that actually that's mutual. Ah, but we're not finished here. As opposed to the other ones, where where, where we, this would be where the discussion would end. We're not finished. Again, say no, but what about the continuation of the Mishnah? Rabbi Yossi, permit the mustard to be put next to the bees because the mustard guy could say to the other guy, before you tell me, move your mustard away from my bees, I will tell you, move your bees away from my mustard. Because they, your bees come and eat my mustard, and then they destroy them. And if you're going to say, actually, that we said before, you're not allowed to adjoin. You're not allowed to plant adjoining the, the, the other person's property, the other person. How could this be? So Rav Papa says, once again, this is with a field that was a whole sold, half of it was sold, and then on the boundary line, was the mishra or the krishin or the chardal, the, the, the dying vat or the leeks or the, the mustard, which ended up right next to the other, the, the bees and the onions and the vegetables. The ibelokeach, if that's true, my time of the Rabbanan. So what's the reason of the sages that you're not allowed to do it? Vod my time of the Rabbiosi, afilu meshrevi so also, what's the reason, what is Rabiosi's reason? He says, you're allowed to go up there. Even, in other words, why does he say, why do we need Rabiosi? Because he, if it's all about a field that was sold in half, so even a dye vat and vegetables are also okay. Amar Avina, Kasavi Rabbanan, Alhamazik So Ravina says that actually the sages hold the first, the Tanakama, the first opinion of the Mishnah there that says that you have to keep the tree 25 amot from the cistern says, Alamazik leharchik et atzmo. The damager has to distance himself. Why? Because Rabiosi holds that the damagee, the guy who's being injured, the injured party, has it's upon him to distance himself. From the source of damage. So, e, so the Gemara then asks, if that's true, if it's actually the injured party that has to distance themselves, that it's his responsibility to stay away from the source of damage, that would be true with also with uh, divat and vegetables. So why do we say that you're not allowed to put the divat next to the vegetables? Ella, so rather, 
Rather, Rabbi Yossi also is worried about the damager, and the damager, it's on, the onus is on the person causing the damage to distance themselves. And this is actually the dispute. So this is what Rabbi Yossi says to the sages. So it's okay. It works out with a dye vat and vegetables that these damage these and these don't damage these. In other words, that the, the dye vat can cause damage to the vegetables, but the vegetables don't damage the dye vat. But mustard and bees, they damage each other. Rabbanan, so what are the sages? What would the sages? So that's why Rabbi Yossi would say, so therefore it's not clear who the Mazik is and who the Nizak is. So Rabbanan and sages say, the sages say, no, bees don't damage mustard. Ibabinta, if you're talking about the seeds, it's it's not, this doesn't happen. It's too small, I don't know, or they can't find it, or but they say, this is not regular. Ibatrifa hadarpari. If it's talking about the leaves, so it's not really a damage, it's not if the bees will come in and eat the leaves or whatever they do with the leaves, then that's not actually considered damage because it will regenerate itself. It'll grow a new leaf. So does Rabiosi really think that it's upon the person who is causing the damage to distance themselves. Lahatnan doesn't it say in the Mishnah, Even though the cistern was there before the tree, you don't you don't have to cut the tree down because this person is digging the cistern in his property, and this person is digging is planting the tree in her property. Rather, Rabiosi doesn't is actually putting the onus on the person who is injured. And here, Rabiosi, when he says that this one is, is digging in this one, this one is digging in that one, is talking about according to the rabbis. And this is what he says. According to me, says Rabiosi, it's the person who is being injured. It's the onus is on the person who's being injured to distance himself. And even when you have a dye vat and vegetables, you, the, the dye vat owner does not have to uh, distance the dye vat. But according to you, sages, who say that you the onus is on the damage or the person causing the damage? So I can understand when you're talking about the dye vat and vegetables, where the dye vat can injure the vegetables and the vegetables can't injure the the dye the dye vat. But when you have mustard and bees. They damage each other. And the sages say, no, it's the same thing as the divat because bees don't damage mustard. If you're talking about seed, it actually doesn't happen. And if you're talking about uh, leaf, then it will regenerate itself. Okay, so we're going to stop here. So again, this one goes down at the end and still, and we're, we're in the crux and we're actually going to, Later on, when we get to this Mishnah with Rabiosi, we're going to see that that it's not clear what Rabiosi's opinion is. Because Rabiosi, there, there's a tradition in Gemara 25b after that Mishnah, which says that the halacha is like Rabiosi, but 
Rabiosi has an exception in giri delay, right? When a person is directly causing damage, the onus is on that person to distance themselves. It's only in indirect damage. So that whole conversation about direct damage and indirect damage will have later on in the parak. But here, it seems, if that's true, then it seems that the conclusion here of the stam, of the Gemara, that Rabiosi is actually talking about the nizak, the person who is injured and not the person who is damaging, is contradicted by that other conversation there, by that other sugya, which says that Rabiosi is actually interested in a case of giri delay, of direct damage. Giri arrows is the Talmudic term for damage, direct damage caused by a person. So that in that case, Rabiosi actually cares about the mazik and puts the onus on the mazik to distance themselves. So here we get to the end of this. And then the conversation amongst the commentators is how to configure this whole thing, right? So the riff says that Paskin, the Rif says decides the law according to Rava, even though the law is according to Rabiosi, because of the fact in that other sugya on 25b, because of the fact that Rabiosi, in the case of giri delay, of direct damage, admits to, to the rabbis. In the Me'iri, the other, there's other, there's, uh, amongst the other commentators, Rabbi Nachum HaMe'iri in the 14th century, and the Yad Ramah, also in the 14th century. There's something of a dispute about how to put all these together, whether or not this sugya is actually proving Rava or going according to Abaye. And that's because we have these two vectors, which are, one is the question of adjoining, and the other is the question of on whom the onus is, whether it is the one who is causing the damage or the one who is being injured. And then on top of that is a question of direct or indirect damage. And in that uh, level of ambiguity, we are going to end this week's Daf Shui. Thank you so much for joining me here. I want to thank, as always, my producer, Ellie Unger-Sargon, who puts this together in a manner in which it's listenable. You can follow me on Irmiklat on Twitter at Irmiklat, I-R-M-I-K-L-A-T. And if you enjoyed yourself in these 40 minutes or so, please go on the podcast page and rate the podcast, hopefully well, and write a recommendation. And even more so, tell your friends and bring them back to the Beit Midrash next week. I hope you all stay healthy, wash your hands, socially distance yourself, and come back next week to learn some more Torah.